Welcome to the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church, a place for candid conversations about what our church community is learning, what is going on in the world, how it all applies to our lives as followers of Jesus. My name is Brooke, and this is episode number 70, the big seven zero. Lauren, welcome back. I didn't know we were on 70. That's kind of cool. I know. It's 70. It's crazy. Seven zero. Yeah, so uh, so this is a little different for us. Um, I'm sitting in a room all by myself. Lauren is sitting in a room all by himself. I hope this works, Brooke. Are... I'm like I'm hopeful, but I'm not optimistic. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> no, we can do this. We can do this. So uh, we apologize if there are technical difficulties or if you hear traffic going by. Lauren is is uh, ha- Lauren. How far away are you from from here? Oh, I should know. I should know by the mileage. Somewhere close to a thousand miles away. I am in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. My family is up here with me, almost everybody. We just got away for a weekend of camping, and then now we're into phase two. We've got a, a generous friend's condo in Copper Mountain Resort, which is out near Frisco, Colorado. I'm looking out my bay window at uh, what in the winter is Copper Mountain Ski Resort, and it is gorgeous, man. So. I actually kicked my your, wife and daughters um, out. They're shopping while I, I grab the condo to myself to try to do this podcast with you, man. <laughs> That's nice. So what what is your what is your weather like? Because we are, you know, continuing on our streak of it's probably about a hundred, if not a little bit more. Oh, uh, you sure you want me to tell you all? I don't know, man. It's uh, we're we are at the moment, at the moment we are already ninety three and this is Still not even lunchtime yet. <laughs> okay, you're not making me want to come home. It's 57 degrees, blue wow. sky, sunshine. Uh, it was 37 when I got up this morning and went down uh, the street to get my Starbucks. And uh, 57 degrees. That's crazy. The high I think here today is in the 60s. It's going to be just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you're struggling. You're struggling there. That's what you're saying. <laughs> well, we are at like I think we're at like ten thousand feet, or maybe nine thousand feet above sea level. So, so if you pass out, it's likely because you're so high. Hey, you joke. Above the, you uh, the joke. Earth. I walked. I walked like four blocks to Starbucks to get my coffee, and I, <laughs> you'd have thought I'd run a half marathon, man. I was huffing and puffing, That's right. <laughs> wheezing. This is terrible. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, all of our. Uh, all of our technology that we're making, uh, we're, we're putting to use here, works out for us because we're both on phones, FaceTiming um, while I'm while we're both recording onto separate uh, separate devices, so that we can then mix everything together later on. So I, I really I want know. this to work, Brooke. I just I'm just <laughs> I, I feel this is when you I just, feel you 52. just want to be able to you just want to be able to go on vacation. That's all. <laughs> I know. I'm actually hopeful this that's works because it, it opens up the possibilities of different ways we can do the podcast. You know. I really kind of want to take a screenshot and show everybody. I think, I think I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. So this is this is a screenshot here. Oh, let's see if I can do it without my fingers in the way. What are you going to use this screenshot for on our audio only oh, podcast? You don't you don't need to worry about that. Okay. You don't you don't need you don't need to worry about it. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. So you're on vacation and you've taken the family and you've uh, you've moved moved on without us here and and uh, enjoying some much better weather which is nice cuz it was it was really hot. So what did you guys do um happy father's day? I haven't seen you since then. Yeah, you too. Um we had we had father's day, we had Juneteenth over the weekend, all of this stuff. What did you guys uh did you guys do anything for father's day? Uh we didn't do anything crazy. I mean, when you're on a special trip like this, the whole thing feels amazing and and special. So my girls are very affectionate and loving to me more than I deserve and so they gave me a little extra affection Sunday morning, but we, we woke up Sunday morning on Father's Day in a tent in Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, it was our third morning there, second morning there, I guess. We were there for two nights. So you mean, you mean like, you mean like real camping, like we're well, in a tent sleeping on the ground in, in It depends on who you're talking bags. to. It depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking about, you know, living off the fat of the land and carrying everything into the backcountry and camping for days on end and cooking all your own food. No, we did not do any of that. We we backed up our car <laughs> to a parking spot and pulled out a a nine-person tent that there's no way you could carry anywhere. And uh, we 
took advantage of a fire pit and a picnic table and beautiful surroundings. We did some day hikes in Rocky Mountain National Park, saw some elk and some deer. Um, it was just a super chill weekend. And uh, Rocky Mountain National Park is, you know, it's a national park. So it was crowded. It was very touristy, um, but absolutely gorgeous. And it's one of our favorite spots. We used to go up there at least three or four times a year when we lived on the north side of Denver. It's not that far. It's the kind of thing, you know, what do you do when, when friends or family come visit you from out of town? You know, when we lived in San Antonio, I think I went to the Alamo about 50 times, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you do when you're in uh, north side of Denver? You, you jaunt an hour, hour 15 up to Rocky Mountain National Park. So we've, we've been up there a lot over the years. It's kind of sentimental to the Jones family. So, cool. yeah, it's good. How about you? What'd you... Father's Day, did your did your uh, four kids just you know do all the work around the house and yeah oh yes yes as my as my mom always said when we were growing up that we would rise up and call her blessed that that was what the uh, you know that's what the kids were supposed to do and and uh, uh, yeah no no not so much um, you know it's a it's a Sunday so it's already like it's already weird so they they kind of just take their time getting out of bed, which is still usually before me anyway. And I like to sleep as late as possible. So I basically roll out of bed and like have to get ready and leave so I can get up to church and stuff. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, so we, we kind of miss out on that. Um, came home and, and, you know, like, like I think Kendrick made me a card, like, uh, like three, four days early. And, um, you know, his drawings are always fun to decipher and, uh, Love it. uh, yeah, so you know the kids did, uh, you know, t- just all the work. Now we had um, we had some friends over <laughs> and uh, went and played golf with a couple other dads, and then we came back and swam in the pool. And I think we got out of the pool at like, you know, ten thirty, eleven o'clock wow. at night. And and uh, so we uh, that's a so good we, day. So we went and sweat a lot and and played some golf, and then uh, and then we just hung out in the pool. So it was nice. Love it, love it. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I know I missed. Uh... I missed uh, the church gathering, um, Colonial, on Sunday. We're recording this uh, a day later than usual. We're recording this on Tuesday. So a couple days ago, I missed Father's Day as a church coming together. Um, Right. What did I miss, Brooke, with our our church family coming together? Well, and and I know you know this, but we paused our our series on Acts to to talk about Father's Day a little bit, and and, uh, Jordan Jordan brought us a message, and really the biggest thing that that I took away from it was the uh, the idea that the the parents are not the primary disciplers of our kids, right? Um, That we kind of live in in this world where we think that discipling our kids is taking them to church and dropping them off, and letting the kids ministry do that. And, uh, so, you know, for me, I started thinking about the ways that my parents, um, uh, were the primary disciplers of, of our family and, um, <laughs> and the ways that the kids didn't always, uh, buy into it, not necessarily in a, um, in a wholehearted way, but just like, oh yeah, that's fun, dad, great, mm. thanks. Um, you know, so that was that was the main thing, and and uh, you know, thinking about am I am I being efficient and doing things, um, the 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 fastest way or to get them done or or whatever, or am I being effective and making sure that the conversations that we're having and the uh, the um, um, the the ways that we spend time with our kids and and talk about the Bible and talk about God and talk about Jesus and what that means and having a relationship with him and all that. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? And, right. and uh, I thought it was really interesting. It was just, you know, to, to be in a time where my kids are, my kids are, are starting to ask those questions um, because for a lot of their life, I mean, well, for all of their lives, they just go to church because that's what we do. You know, dad works at a church and so we always go to church. Right. And uh, so I almost kind of feel like it's even more difficult sometimes because it's like, well, it's everything we've ever known. And, you know, I grew up that way. I grew up in the church three, four times a week because we did, you know, the Sunday morning thing, and then we had a Sunday night thing, and then we had a Wednesday night thing, and then we had rehearsals for stuff. And it was literally, we were there all the time, but that was just what we did. And so to to get to a place later on in my life when I had to kind of realize, oh, we I need to do this because I want this, not because, um, not because it's what my parents said we should always do. You know, mm. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, I started thinking about, you know, the ways that, that my mom and dad, um, you know, when they read their, when they read their Bible and when they talked with us about things and, um, you know, I'm sure lots of times I, I, you know, looked away or when they looked away, I rolled my eyes and, you know, all the, all of the, the fun ways that they attempted to disciple us in ways that, um, you know, like I said, sometimes we bought into and sometimes we were like, great. Mm. So what about you? What, what, um, to, to be the primary disciplers of your kids, your kids are older than mine. You've gone through this. You're the, uh, most holy reverend. Um, of of colonial church here, so you should have you know plenty of wisdom on this topic, right? You're you're funny. You're funny. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah. First of all, I love that premise. I knew I knew Jordan was going there, and I couldn't agree more that we as parents are the primary disciplers of our church. You know what? This is totally random. It it, it makes me harken back to uh, Charles Barkley um, when he was just as obnoxious as ever, but back when he was playing, one of his famous quotes was, uh, I'm not a role model because people were, mm. people were calling him out for his bad behavior or his, you know, at the very least, you know, disrespectful, um, comments or attitude or whatever. And he just insisted, I'm not a role model. And I thought appropriately, some other people said, you know what, you don't have to think you're a role model, but when everybody's watching you and when, Kids are looking up to you. I'm sorry, you're you. You don't even have to agree, but reality, you're a role model, and so I I think of that as a parent. Um, I think I think a lot of parents would argue, no, I'm not the primary discipler of my kids, um, and I would just say, you know what? Who who? Let's call it in influence. If if you don't want to use the word disciple, who is influencing mm. our kids more? Than anybody else, and it's not even close. You know, it's not even school teachers, um, which is probably a, a distant second. Um, the church is way down the list. I don't know if Jordan put a list together like that, just in hours a week or hours per month or year, but the church is way down the list on influence in the lives of our kids, at least when it comes to time and yeah. education, so to speak. And so, yeah. That, that's one of the things my brain, uh, where, where my brain goes when I hear, hear that teaching from Jordan. We are the primary disciples. I think back to my parents. I don't think my parents were the kind of parents, maybe like a, a small a minority of parents out there who, you know, sat us down every day and we had, I mean, I guess you could call it a curriculum. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't do that kind of thing. But you know what I remember? is in very general terms, my parents lived out their faith in front of me. Mm -hmm. And right. I saw it on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays and not just at a church building, you know? Right. And, yeah. and we prayed before every meal, but also it wasn't like rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. You know, it was, <laughs> it was like praying for each other and for hard things going on and lots of prayers of gratitude and that i think shaped me in ways that were immeasurable you know because we yeah. we prayed together and i think a lot of parents don't pray with their kids they don't feel comfortable or don't know how to do it or don't value it like i would argue they should um if i can get personal i guess really how you started your question as a dad you know now that my first is out of the house and my Second will be out of the house in a, less than a couple years in theory. And, you know, I've got my youngest is now 12 and a half. I think I'm starting to realize, like most parents of teenagers, oh, my goodness, my time is my time is waning. Like, I have yeah. I have yeah. I done a good job? Oh, my goodness. I wish I could go back and and be a little mm -hmm. more intentional in this way or mm -hmm. that way. So I think I think I'll bet I speak for a lot of parents of teenagers just going, ah, I hear what Jordan's saying. I hear, I hear that truth. I wish I'd have been more intentional in my discipling. I, I still think it doesn't take away from the osmosis factor, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Good or bad. My, my kids are learning about God, about relationship with him, about conversation with him, about um, 
his ways being radically different than the world's. They're learning all that by just watching, and uh, they're right. learning way more by watching than they are by. I, that that's. I hope this doesn't fly in the face of anything specifically Jordan said since I wasn't there. <laughs> but I I would I would say pretty pretty confidently. As with everything else in life, way more is caught than taught, and so. No, I, I mean, I think you're. I think you're right. Like, I don't think it flies in the face of anything he said by any means. Um, you know, just talking about discipling your kids, discipling your kids is not just we need to sit down and have a Bible study and read these things together. Like, right. that's not the only way to do it. You know, maybe that's part of it, but but to I mean, I think you, you're hitting it on the head. If if we're living a life that um, on paper says this, but our kids are next to us and watch us all the time, and our kids are like, eh. I mean, it's just like them learning how, learning how to be in a, in a relationship, you know? If the relationship that we have with our wives is not teaching our kids how to be in a relationship with someone else, how to, uh, to love them, to care for them, to, to you know, be their partner, then you know, yeah, we can say all the things that we want. And so I, I think, I think you're, you're right on. I think discipleship is the same thing. Like we can, we can tell our kids all day long that they should go to church and they should read their Bibles and they should, you know, have a relationship with God or whatever. But if we're not living that either, yeah, then, you know, then, then what are we actually, then we're just telling them, we're just telling them what we want them to do, Absolutely. but we're not going to live it ourselves. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I hope, I hope the, the positive message that was heard this weekend, even with what little I know that Jordan prepared and, and delivered is just, man, let's take it seriously. Let's take seriously the influence we have over our kids. Let's not abdicate, yeah. you know, to the church or to somebody else in their lives or to books or let's be intentional and let's point our kids to Jesus. Let's, let's model loving relationships, God honoring decisions, um, different values, um, I hope it was just a call up. That's what that's what I hear. Even as I think on that concept, that's what I hear. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, it it was that. I think I think it was that very Great. very much so. So um, okay. So we we started last week. Um, we started diving into uh, this book, Winsome Convictions. Um, and we have, we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago that we were going to last week, we dove into kind of the first chunk of it. Um, basically the idea of, um, kind of figuring out what the issue is, um, dealing with the convictions that we have when they don't line up with, um, the people around us or, and, and then the, the, what's the, what's the tagline? You've got the book in your hands. What does it say? Disagreeing, uh, disagreeing. without dividing the church. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so we have convictions, especially now politically, and um, you know, with, with all kinds of things that are going on in our world around us. Um, even not just politics, but just the way that we see things. We've become so black and white in a lot of ways that our convictions frequently seem to be um, either the things that are keeping us together and separated from each other, or the things that are pushing us farther away from each other at the same time. Um, so, so to 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 dive into the book again this week, um, you know, let's let's talk about um, let's talk about dealing with it, right? Ooh. So we 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 understand that we're that we uh, we we can easily grab onto issues and let them um, push us farther and farther apart. But so how do we how do we use this book here and some of the things that they're teaching to? Uh, make some changes or to understand what's going on better. Mm. Yeah, this is really where the rubber meets the road. The first uh, big section of the book, I think if I'm honest, I read at least three times before I ever finished the book <laughs> because it just, it just, oh, it just got me so excited because I felt like these authors were describing the world that I'm living in every day. The, yeah. the quarreling amongst Christians. The, the tribalism, the um, us versus them mentality that just seems so pervasive, not only in our culture at large, but I'm talking about within the church, within the church with a capital C. So I, I confess, I'll bet for a lot of people, I don't, I don't mean to project too much, but for a lot of people, I think the first part of the book is very um, engaging uh, because it's like, it's a whole lot, I think there's a whole lot of head nodding as you read. The last part right. of the book, which we're going to get into today, 
is kind of, okay, what do we do about it? And how do we go about, and, and, and if, if I'm not honest, it, it's, I, I got to say this, it's a little frustrating because I think it speaks to the overwhelming challenge of how to navigate these waters. Uh, now, having said that, um, I, do, I do love some real clear handles that the authors give us, and I hope this is a encouraging and helpful um, conversation. And I would like to say, too, Brooke, since we haven't talked about this in a, in a while, you know, one of my hopes is that our listeners will go out and buy this book. Uh, if you haven't already, yeah. Um, yeah. we're going to have a brief conversation about a few insights we have. Uh, but I really, I really think this book is top shelf when it comes for dealing with some important things going on in our culture, in the church right now. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that I would say about this, um, you know, you talked about reading the front half um, repeatedly because it just, you know, it's the, the head nod, the yes, I get, oh yeah, I get that. And the the second half of the book, or, or the, the last couple of chapters at least, that are dealing with this, it's not like, here's the silver bullet of how we fix it all. Right. Um, Which is you know, what we crave, but, right? That's what we crave. Right, it's right. We want it, We want that easy, oh, okay, well, they just need to agree with me. Then, then okay, well, then it's all good. But it's it's basically like walking you through like all these different steps of, okay, let's figure out, like, what does this really mean for you? Like, getting to the bottom of why you believe what you believe, and then taking the time. Like, it's just question after question for question that, that forces you to kind of think through things rather than, oh, here's the quick and easy solution. Mm, yes, well, and to that point, um, if I can jump right into one of the chapters late in the book, uh, I love the analogy the authors use about likening uh, what's going on as far as the problems we're facing with each other in the church to what he calls joint pain. Um, right. He talks about all the joints in the human body and how over time there is no exception in the human experience, except to have joint pain. Uh, and mm. so we're not called to eradicate joint pain. I mean, think about the human life. We're never, we're never have, we never have any hope in this life as we get older and age. And I, this is probably gonna make a lot more sense to my age group and older. <laughs> um, although you're, you know, you hit the big four Oh, uh, fairly recently. Right. So you, you get it. The body starts to fall apart. We never, we never really aspire to end the suffering physically. We, we start to focus on managing it, managing the joint, yeah. joint pain. And I love their, they're just talking about how, okay, we're never going to all agree on some things. We're never all going to even really understand each other perfectly. Um, and so how do we manage the joint pain? Well, I thought that was a really good analogy. And then to, to the point of, of really how hard this is, um, one of the first meaningful goals that they lay out for us to try to navigate this is, number one, to achieve disagreement. Our mm -hmm. first goal, the author says, should be to achieve disagreement, which, uh, of course, that may sound really easy. Well, of course we disagree. That's the whole point. It's the problem, you know? <laughs> um, but I love how they say this on page 141. He says, in our experience, achieving a misunderstanding is much more common than achieving a real disagreement. Misunderstanding, misunderstandings revolve around perceived disagreements, but the problem is that perceptions are often inaccurate. The easiest way to test the accuracy of a perception of a conflict is to ask a person to state the position of the other side. I love this so much. Mm -hmm. They say frequently when people attempt to do this, they discover that the folks on the other side shake their heads and say, but that's not really what I believe. Here's a simple rule of thumb. Unless and until you can state the opinion of the other side in a way that makes them nod their heads and say, yes, you get it. You get me. You have failed to achieve disagreement. And let me just say, as a pastor, I have had several conversations in my office, over a cup of coffee in a coffee shop, in a car with people over lunch, where I have asked probing questions to try to understand their frustrations or their pushback on things. Uh, and and it's, it's been nothing but a misunderstanding. And yeah. at worst, there's a lot of frustration and, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not, but that's not what I believe. <laughs> I know that's what you heard mm -hmm. me say, or I know that's what you think 
you know, Christians believe or what you think we at Colonial believe. But that's, the, that's, no, that's a misunderstanding. At worst, we part ways and it's just, oh, it's awful. It's, it wasn't even a disagreement. It was a misunderstanding. But at best, yeah. at best, we've had a few breakthroughs in relationships that I've had and conversations I've had where we are nodding our head at the end going, oh, okay. You know what? I misunderstood. I miss, or, or, mm. on, or, or one of us will go, oh, oh, you know what? I misspoke. That's not, that's, oh, I can see why you would think that's what I think or what I believe. But you know what? That's not what I think or what I believe. And I said it wrong. Or it, it's just so illuminating for these authors to say, you've got to start with actually fighting to disagree. That's a good thing. You're, you're coming mm-hmm. to full understanding of where the other person is coming from. They close that section with, right. with this, this line. We don't achieve disagreement until the conflicting parties can clearly state what, she, what each other believes and why the matter is so important to them. Love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. That was one of the things that I wrote down a couple of the quotes. I mean, you and I haven't, haven't gone through this together in any way other than just kind of, here's the big section, let's talk about this. And I wrote the same thing. I was like, that was, that was a big deal to me is that so often it's, you know, we try to make things so black and white that it's like, well, if you said this, then therefore you fill in the blank. Um, you know, and so, and so for us to be able to slow down and say, okay, rather than just grabbing, say, a talking point or this bullet that I that I felt like came my way or whatever, what is it that's actually being said here? What are they actually saying they believe? And and I just thought that was brilliant. Can you can you state the other person's opinion in a way that they would be like, yes, you get it. Whether you agree with it or not, you get it. You understand what I'm saying. I that was that was so good. Mm. Yeah. As Jordan would say, you need to write that down. You need to write that down. And there's something powerful just about <laughs> feeling heard, you know? I mean, feeling misunderstood yeah. is downright problematic. Feeling heard, mm-hmm. even if you're disagreed with, but feeling heard mm-hmm. is so powerful, you know? It's central to relationships, I think. Um, to that end, I, I, I do want to go ahead and, and go another to another goal he lays out for us as we're trying to to manage this joint pain in the body of Christ he says, is to, um, to achieve mutual respect. And this sounds mm-hmm. so trite if you just leave it to that, but I, I'm going to purposefully read this paragraph and purposefully include all the scripture passages that he cites. Because this, <laughs> this is, this is yeah. overwhelmingly convincing to me. He says, one of the right. most common, constant concerns of the New Testament is that we treat one another with respect. This seems to be particularly characteristic when addressing groups who might often find themselves contending with one another. He's talking about in the Bible. When non-Christians ask us for an account of the hope within us, we are to offer it with gentleness and respect. That's from 1 Peter 3. We are to offer respect to whom respect is due and honor to whom honor is due, even if that person is a Roman ruler that persecutes Christians. Romans 13. We are to respect our leaders, 1 Thessalonians 5, our spouses, Ephesians 5, and our masters, and not just those who treat us well, 1 Peter 2. Jesus famously modeled respect for others, particularly those who were disregarded, disrespected, or even despised by the prevailing culture. Children in Mark 10, Samaritans in Luke 10 and John 4, tax collectors in Luke 5, Roman centurions in Matthew 8. Particularly notable in the gospel accounts is Jesus constantly extending respect to women in a culture where they were often silenced, disregarded, refused education, and where their word was regarded as unreliable testimony. Luke 8, Luke 10, Mark 5, John 4, John 27, John 20. Excuse me, not John 27, John 4 and John 20. Here's the close. Simply put, we are to respect other people simply because they are people who are made in the image of God, people for whom Christ died, people who struggle with the same temptations as we do, and people who stand in as desperate need of a Savior as we do. In an ultimate sense, the things we have in common outweigh our differences. Man, this is call up from this book to not just achieve disagreement, but to achieve mutual respect. This is Christ-like to me. Ugh. Mm. So good. But what if 
I can't respect their opinion or their position on this idea in any way? Great question. I think that's very different than respecting the person. I think time and time again, we, we put those things together. If I don't respect what they think, then I don't respect them. And those are, those are mm-hmm. radically different things. Um, I, I, think, I think we've got to separate those, which, which goes into his third goal here, is he says we've got to identify and tend the common ground. Um, and I think, that, I think that goes a long way. I, I think of the Christians that I disagree with, that I have come to a place of clarity on understanding how we disagree with each other. I would like to think I can still fight for loving them as a person, respecting them as a person. But I think one of the key things there, to your point, Brooke, is, okay, I, I don't respect their thought. I don't respect their conviction. I disagree with it, in fact. I think one of the best things and one of the things that's required of us, and this book certainly affirms this, is we've got to fight for what we have in common. Do we both love Jesus? Mm-hmm. Do we both trust the scriptures as, as, a, as God's voice into our lives? Do we, do we both believe that God loves us and longs to know us? Do we believe that his grace is sufficient? Do, we, can, we can make a list of things. It takes me back to when I was in that room with you and nine other pastors that were included Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, non-denominational, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a couple others that were in there that, that just from different different camps in, Church, entirely. Church of Christ. <clears throat> Thank you, Church of Christ. Um, what, what's George Davis over at New Harvest? Uh, would they call themselves Baptist or I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't it's know a, what that is. Um, it's an African American church on the east side of town. You know, from different different contexts, and I love the spirit of unity in that room where we we could have gone down some rabbit trails and really argued with each other probably could have had even had some fun with it best case scenario but we chose to pray together to jesus the king we chose to plan together a month of fasting and prayer uh in the new year 2023 across denominational lines across geographic lines because we all love jesus and we just want to call each other up to the things we have in common and uh, I think that's where we've got to land, even if at the, in the end we go, man, I really don't think that guy's put some thought into this. <laughs> or I really, I really don't respect their interpretation of the Bible there. That's just, I don't agree with that at all. And I could give them 18 sources as to why they're wrong. It doesn't change how we've got to fight for common ground. And it doesn't change how we've got to um, fight for mutual re- love and respect. I really believe that. And these authors do a great job of calling us up to that. Yeah, and and you know, as you're as you're getting to one of the, I think it was chapter eleven. Um, they talk about conviction mapping. Yes. Um, basically, basically, okay. Do the do the work here. Do the work and sit down and clarify your own convictions. Like, why do you believe what you believe? Yes. You know, so not only could you do this with someone else, and and you know, maybe even hope that they would, but just for your own sake, why, when did I first start thinking this? Um, you know what? What things in my life have pushed me closer to this, and kind of, kind of crystallized my thinking? Um, what emotions do I uh, do I maybe associate with, or or kind of pop up when this thing comes up? What social contexts are available are, are a part of this? What triggers um, my uh, maybe those emotions? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I just thought that you know this section of really sitting down and saying, okay, this is why I believe what I believe. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's so, it's so easy to, um, to latch on to a talking point or something that somebody else said or the way that this made me feel or jumping to a conclusion that we stop, we stop really trying to get to the bottom of it. We don't, we don't, I don't think we do, or at right. least I, you know, in a lot of ways I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting there thinking, okay, now why is it that I, you know, do we all think analytically about the emotions that ha- that we have when we get frustrated or we get into a, um, a disagreement or misunderstanding? So I, I thought this chapter, um, you know, again, it's not like a, here's a silver bullet. This is going to fix it all. This is the one thing we need, but it sure would help to be able to say, to be able to articulate why yes um, you know why is it that I believe what I believe yes 
and then and then to be able to understand the convictions of others you know um they said they, one of the things they said in here that i thought was great you know um i think it was uh um i want to say it was henry ford i can't remember um if that's the the right reference but um this is not in the book but but one of the things that i've always heard is 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 this quote that um we we often are listening to respond not listening to understand mm-hmm. and and so in one of the, one of their little quips in here, um, they said, I can't hear you because of what I think you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just thought that was so good. It's like, I can't listen to anything that you're saying because I've already decided in my head what it is that you're saying or what you're going to say or what you believe. And, and so to be able to do that for ourselves, to get to the bottom of it, gives us the ability to say, okay, I understand why I believe what I believe. Yeah. I understand what's led me to this point. And, and so, you know, I, I can think of, the, I, I did some of that this week, was just thinking through like, mm. okay, whatever this subject is, you know, what are the things, the major things in my life that led me to this point? And, and so if we can do that, you know, sure, it would be great for the other person to do that as well, but <laughs> how often are you in a disagreement that you sit down and say, okay, let's come back together and debate this and share each other or, you know, share with you my journaling for why I believe what I believe. Mm. And, um, I just thought it was so good. And, and, um, you know, to, to really just force you to say, okay, what is it? Yes. Why are these, why are these things here? What are these emotions? Why, wow. Why does that emotion come up? Okay. What's that attached to? And, but I think we just land on that. I can't hear you because of what I think you're going to say. I, I think so much of what you're, you're talking about and where the author's land us in this book is the call to hard work, you know? Yeah, um, it's, absolutely. It's why online, you know, vitriol with each other is just, it's not only pathetic and, and off-putting to a watching world, but it's not, it's not effective because it's, I think this book calls me personally to up to the hard work of, of relationships. And, mm-hmm. and I don't want to take my, grab my ball and go home. I don't want to give up. I don't want to. I don't want to judge too quickly. I want to seek to understand. I want to work hard on relationships. I late in the book, they quote the authors quote a 2019 survey done by the Atlantic that says nearly 40 percent of Americans interact with a person from a different political party only a few times a year or never. Mm. In short, for all Americans talk about diversity. We like sameness a whole lot more, especially when it comes to thinking. And, and they say this, this is their opinion. They say, surely followers of Jesus can do better. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it's, why, it's why some people don't want to listen to what we're talking about today. It's why some people don't want to buy this book. It's why some people want to just go find, in our case as Christians, a church where hopefully, it's never going to be the case, but hopefully I think people rationalize or... or or hope that, well, I'll, I'll agree with everything here. This will be my, this will be my tribe instead of the hard work of doing life with very different kinds of people who all love Jesus, which to me is what the new Testament calls us to. Um, this conviction mapping specifically chapter 11 is you could argue this is where the authors land on. Let me give you one tool. Let me give you one hard work tool to take with you yeah. in this in this thing, and it's it's what you said earlier, Brooke. It's it's sitting down and fighting to understand. Okay, tell me about your personal history and what has led you to feel so strongly about this. Tell me what emotions come with that. I love that um, this actually spoke loudly to me. Um, that one of the authors, I believe, he's talking about Biola University. He said that a few years ago, the president of the university asked them to have some public debate, some public conversations between faculty who disagreed with each other on explosive topics. I think that's great teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, And so specifically their first one came right after the 2016 election um, when Trump won and they invited two faculty members, one a self-described progressive and the other a committed political conservative to join in the discussion. And they just talked about how, how well the event went and how they really felt like it started some really good conversations uh, amongst people that disagreed with each other as Christians. But I loved what I grabbed a hold of their, their retake of this, of this story is they thought one of the most beneficial parts 
of, of what they implemented, this new approach to, to debate, was they required these two guys, in this case, that disagreed with each other vehemently, they required mm-hmm. them to have a long dinner the week before. And they required them, they gave them a specific questions, like when did you first start to think this way? And what defining events or relationships or life experience, experiences crystallized your thinking about this? What emotions uh, surface when you think about this issue? Like in this case, the 2016 election, what emotions come out? And it allowed them to really get to know each other's stories, get to know each other's family backgrounds, get to know each other's pivotal milestone life experiences. So that when they then when they stood up in front of people and had this public discourse they actually understood each other better and they actually had some love and respect for each other, even if they disagreed and they could articulate things, I think a little more effectively. So to use one of the terms of the authors, I think their convictions were thickened. You know, they had just, they had right. more roots in, in why they believed what they believed. And also their understanding of the other's convictions were thickened. They had a better understanding of why they believed what they believed um, but man, doesn't that require hard work? <laughs> yeah. Like it makes me tired. Can I, can I just, as much as this book excites me <laughs> and this subject matter excites me, don't get me wrong. I, I think I'm like almost everybody else. It's just, I just want to hang out with people who think like me. I just want to, yeah. I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to hang out with people who are the fans of the same team as me. I want to hang out with people who voted the same as me. I want to hang out with people who dress like me, who use the same slang language that I do it's just easier it's it's fun it's comfortable and yet not only does the richness of this life demand that we interact with people very different than us but but oh my goodness look to your left look to your right look behind you look in front of you the body of Christ is diverse it's supposed to be diverse um I love the jokes I've heard over the years I forgot how it's normally said but you know when a lot, a lot of people have said to me over the years, I think some of us are going to end up in heaven and look around going, oh, this is way more diverse than I ever thought it was going to be, you know? Um, I, just, I just think the call of Jesus is not to agree on everything, but to achieve, you know, clarity on what we are never going to compromise and then fight for that common ground with other Christians around us. And then, and then learn how to fight really well. You're going to hear me say that on Sunday. I want to, I want to finish Acts 15 um, and, and see how, um, spoiler alert, they disagreed and they actually broke up the band. They actually separated. Um, and I think there's a time and a place for that. But, oh, my goodness, spo- yeah. spoiler alert, you're going to hear me say on Sunday, I don't think that's the, the normal, common place we're supposed to go. I think we're supposed to do the hard work of relationships and really try to listen to each other, uh, extend grace, um, fight for, for what it means to love well and still be grounded in our convictions. Boy, that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. Well, okay. So there was, there was another thing that they talked about and I wonder if I I didn't set you up for this at all, but, um, I wonder if you could talk about this a little bit. They talked about, um, when we when we uh, equate, um, whether intentionally or not, uh, we equate our belief to something that is uh, like a confessional belief, something that is, is you know, uh, this this belief that I have, and I've somehow tied it to the Trinity. So if you're telling me that my belief is wrong, you're basically telling me that. God, that that this that Christianity is just is just is totally wrong because of how I have equated these things. How do we how do we fight back against that in our own minds um, to to be able to say, okay, is this really something that's a, a core conviction of mine or or a core belief of the faith, um, or 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 am I finding a way to make these things? Um, Am I equating these things, this this belief or whatever that I'm disagreeing on, to something far more important to it, and therefore giving it much more weight than it needs? Mm. I mean, you're hitting it on the head for Christians. Um, I think I think we do that a lot. I, I think you're you're also taking us back to the beginning of the book 
where he, he, he says it well, page 35 of this book, he says, Christian convictions are not just deeply personal acts of devotion. They're also grounded in absolutes in, in God's word. And so, um, I think that we we tend to just overlap all that. We form our convictions in order to please Jesus as Christians. Um, yeah. And so if someone challenges our convictions, it's just so hard for us not to associate that with them challenging our faith in general. They're challenging our salvation. They're challenging our faith in Jesus. And um, I, I think back to the what do we do with it, which is really the topic of today, and I think that's what you're asking, Brooke, is I, I think that's the heart of why it's so hard, and I think that's why it requires the hard work of of fighting for common ground. Um, because let me try to think of an example here on the spot. If if we disagree, and, and I think one of the one of the places the authors go um, that's a, a, a often a subject of disagreement amongst Christians because it's it's an easy one to to grab a hold of is, is the use of spiritual gifts, you know, like speaking in tongues, for example. Um, I, it may not be a great example because I I think, I think I've found it's easier to, to, to agree to disagree with Christians over that one. But I, I know some Christians in my life that believe that if you cannot speak in tongues, you are not a Christian. Um, and they work backwards from there. You have not been baptized by the Spirit. You ha- you must not be saved. You must not be a Christian. And for someone like me, just on the surface, they're they're attacking my salvation. They're attacking my my faith in God. And um, and yet, if I can spend time with, and I think of a couple friends in that camp, and because I have spent time with them, I've gone backpacking in the mountains with them. I've I've you know, been to a football game with a couple of these guys. And because we can laugh and talk about silly things, because we can love each other in the midst of crises, because we can worship together and throw our hands in the air and weep and worship like we do and say, Jesus, you are king. It just makes it a heck of a lot easier to disagree about spiritual gifts and specifically speaking in tongues. And thankfully... We have spent enough time together where they've even been able to clarify for me. No, 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 that's not what I mean. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I am saying it's troubling to me, they have said, because that's what I believe. And I don't understand why you don't have that gift. But that's how I interpret the scriptures. And that's been my experience. And and we've agreed to disagree, so to speak. And so I think... I know I'm. I know I'm just saying the same thing, and maybe in different ways over and over again. But I just think it comes back to, we've got to fight for relationship. I hear, in the middle of all this, I hear Jesus saying in John 17, and modeling it certainly in his life, and I hear Paul saying it multiple places. We have got to fight for unity. It's not enough to be right. It's how we love each other that is every bit as loud as a message to the to a watching world. Um, I really believe that's true. And I think that's what's driven me to this book. It's what's driven me in the last few years of polarized politics and polarized thinking in the church. Um, I'm so dissatisfied with people who don't want to fight hard for relationships. And I'm so frustrated with people that don't want to seek to understand and to, and to extend grace along the way. And, and I, I think I see that I have been guilty of that at times as well. I think it's partly what drives me is I, I don't want to be like that. Um, it's partly why I'm so excited about being a colonial is we, we have heard the Lord say, yes, it's all about discipleship, but central to discipleship. We want you to unify this city and we want you to impact the world. Um, and we're not breaking those things apart, you know? So, yeah. So um, to just kind of wrap us up today, uh, the last, uh, I think it was the last chapter, but they talk about some guidelines, um, which I, I thought were really great, thinking through just some of them really quickly, just the bullet points was like, you know, different convictions are a feature, not a bug. 
that that we should expect this, that this is part of life. It's yeah. not, oh my gosh, something has messed up that we don't all agree on everything, but this is how life is. I, I like, they said I, that, uh, I, I want to interrupt you because I like how oh. sticky these statements yep. are. Like that's, yep. that sticks in my head, different convictions, thinking about my Christian, I'm thinking about my small group. I'm thinking about the staff we get to work on together. I'm thinking about the people that call colonial or their church, you know, amongst us, different convictions are a feature, not a bug. That, that, that sticks with me, especially as I think about apps and yeah. computer programs and right. I can mistake bugs or features for bugs sometimes, you know? Oh, yeah. What's another one that sticks out to you? Uh, it said uh, convictions are like steaks. The thicker, the better. <laughs> and they talked about earlier in it, you know, talked about taking your conviction and, and, and not just being a surface level conviction, but thickening it up, understanding why, you know, to really get to the core of why you believe what you believe and how you got to that place. Like, I just thought that was really good. Yeah. Um, they said, they said, be a chimp and not a rhino, uh, may, basically meaning be curious, which took me back to a quote from, uh, from Ted Lasso. Uh, that he says, he says, be curious not judgmental, mm. you know, it's like, understand why, like ask questions, get to the root of it yeah. and not just assume things about somebody else yes. and then try to bowl them over. Yeah. I love, I love that. I'd never, I don't know much at all about rhinos or chimps. I loved, I love just that picture. <laughs> he said, <laughs> I didn't know this. They said, um, rhinoceroses are notoriously short-sighted. It's said that they can't tell the difference between a tree and a human being from 50 feet away. <laughs> and so they just ram things and, mm. And a chip yeah. evidently just goes over and picks it up and pulls on it and right. tastes it and um, puts it on their head to see if it fits. And I love that mm -hmm. call. Be a chimp, not a rhino. And I love that you somehow snuck in a Ted Lasso quote. That's right. Uh, because <laughs> there is truth in Ted Lasso, if I can say that in the middle of our podcast. There's mm. there's some Jesus-likeness mm. in, uh, in that funky character. I'm glad you brought that in. Be a chimp. Be, be a Ted Lasso, not a rhino. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What are some? What any of those guidelines stick out for you? I, I liked the first one they came up with. Uh, fences make better mm -hmm. playgrounds. Um, yeah. That's a challenge for me because it talked about, um, you know, these absolutes where we're not going to compromise. Hey, let's not apologize for those. We don't have to all get along, and we don't have to love everybody's opinion. Let's actually define. Those, those moral mandates, they call them, those confessional beliefs, and let's be really clear about them. Let's put the fences up. And they argue mm -hmm. that what that does is it fences make better playgrounds. It, it allows, they, they've done some, the, some studies that if it's an open space playground, the kids all stay kind of close to the teacher. But if it's a fenced in playground, the kids go all the way to the edge, all the way around. It just gives them uh, more freedom to express their differences. And I think that's important for the church. That's why a statement of, that's a challenge to me. That's why a statement of faith is important. That's why your, your essentials, your doctrinal essentials are important to have clarity because then within that, it gives all of us a lot more freedom to play. Fences make better playgrounds. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, I'll, 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 in my opinion anyway, with this one, I liked a little play on words here, uh, this sticky statement. He said, I need to alter my convictions, but he said, pay attention to my spelling. It's, uh, it's not A-L-T-E-R, yeah. like I need to change my convictions. Change them, right. It's I need to alter, A-L-T-A-R, my convictions. And that's just a great call. First and foremost, I've got to put them on the altar before Jesus, um, Again, it, it matters less being right uh, to other people. It, it matters bringing them to Jesus, bringing them to the Lord and saying, do I need to rethink this? Is this, is this something that is from you? Is this, is this going to help me live my life honoring you and, and sacrificing my life um, to you, Jesus? I thought that was a good word. I need to, I need to alter yeah. AR, my convictions. Yeah. Yeah, sacrifice those convictions and say it's not, it's, you know, not that I have to be right. I like that. Um, okay, it, it, I may cut you off here or whatever, but um, finish us up today with this, the story in the end of the book. Yes. That, I was hoping you were going to let me. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you. Use your, use your love of history, your, your experience in Germany, and uh, bring us home today and, and help us understand that, that story and why it's relevant. Well, I hope, I hope this is a, a, a teaser that makes you just want to go buy the book because they finish with what they call uh, a historical postlude. Um, one of the authors, um, well, you know what? I'm just going to tell the story. There's this German pastor in the 1920s and the 1930s named Paul Schneider. And I was not a familiar, I was not familiar with him before I read this book, but evidently he pastored a small church. Um, and in 1933, when Adolf Hitler came to power, uh, pastor Paul Schneider, um, his convictions just led him to a huge impasse. And he was in conflict with this growing Nazi regime. He refused to. While many other, while many other churches and and pastors were on board. Oh yeah, you could even argue there was this German Christian nationalistic movement that was growing, which supported the Nazi cause. Um, the church has wrapped its arm around some awful things, you know, historically over the last two thousand years. Yeah. This was an example of it. But unlike a lot of his peers. Pastor Paul Schneider refused. He wouldn't ring the bell to to symbolize at the church to symbolize um, the beginning of Nazi meetings. Just a little thing. Um, ultimately, he wouldn't salute uh, Heil Hitler. He wouldn't do that, and he was thrown in a concentration concentration camp called um, Buchenwald, this famous one, and he died. He was tortured, and he died uh, for his beliefs. He said, "This is idolatry for me to salute Adolf Hitler." For me to acquiesce to the ways of this Nazi regime is not from the Lord, and I won't do it. And he died for it, and he became a, a famous martyr. Um, now, here's where I want to contrast this. There was another pastor about a year after Pastor Paul Schneider died. This is in the late 1930s, and and World War II was actually in full swing. And um, to cut to the chase... Uh, all these people were saluting Hitler and these two pastors together were standing there and one said to the other, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. It's not a big deal. And it freaked them, freaked his friend out because they were both very much against the Nazi regime, but they both um, saluted so they wouldn't get in trouble. Um, and here's where I'll just read this part. What should, what should we make of this gesture? This pastor was a member of the confessing church, which was organized to oppose Hitler, had he now flipped sides to Hitler? Had the pastor gone mad? Was he a coward? Was he a traitor? Um, imagine the gasps and stunned silence when I told my class this story and told them that the pastor offering the Hitler salute was none other than Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, I hope a lot of our listeners know who that is. He is a famous martyr in his own right, a strong Christian, wrote some amazing books that have still continued to influence uh, certainly pastors, if not Christians in general. I've quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer at least half a dozen times since I moved to, to Colonial here in Wichita Falls. And so that startled me too. What? Bonhoeffer sold out and saluted Hitler? And to cut to the chase, on the surface, it would appear that these two Christians um, one was against Hitler and one was for him. One was against the Nazis and everything they stood for and one compromised, one sold out. And yet, when you get to know the story of Bonhoeffer, his connections socially in the world, he was highly educated. When you get to know the people he knew and his call to fight against the Nazi regime, he actually later in life conspired to assassinate Hitler. Um, that's how strongly he felt against the Nazi regime. And yet in that moment, he made a judgment call to say, you know what? I am not going to lose my standing right now over a salute. I don't want to draw attention to myself. I want to continue this subversive work I'm doing to fight against the Nazis. And so you got two Christians who, one, said, no, this is black and white. This is a black and white issue. I am not going to salute because that is selling out to Jesus. I will die for it. And you can't argue he's wrong. You can't. He really believed that in the core of his being. You had another Christian who said, this is just a dumb hand gesture. I will do it in the moment because I believe God has called me to something else. He's called me to fight the Nazis with my influence, and, and which, which God did, by the way. And uh, you can look back and go, man, I, 
I can see them arguing vehemently with each other if they were in a room together about how to live out their faith, about how to disagree about things that really matter. And yet, when you really get to know their respective stories and their social contexts and the calling that God placed on their respective lives, it really brings to bear this, this call to seek to understand each other and to celebrate what we have in common. I don't, I don't know if I did that story justice, Brooke, but um, I, I'm just moved by these two heroes, these two martyrs, these two pastors of Christian churches who, who disagreed on how to live out their faith yeah. in that particular context. And they're both heroes, and they both love Jesus, yeah. and they, they're, they're worshiping in heaven right now together. And um, I, I really believe if they'd spent time with each other, they, they probably still would have vehemently disagreed with each other over some secondary things, and they would have agreed on all the, all the essentials. Um, so a great, great I, way I, to I finish lo- the lo- book. Yeah, I loved that they acknowledged the messiness of it all. Yes. You know, imagining if Schneider's wife had been around when Bonhoeffer was giving that salute. And, you know, and just the, the messiness of, of, of all of it all the way around is just, you know, it's not it's not super easy. And, I mean, to me, it's acknowledgement of this entire book. There's a reason we need it, because it's, it's a mess, and we need to be able to— work through these things and understand that mm. not everything's going to agree and we're not going to we're not going to be on the same page all the time but mm. okay well, we need to wrap this thing up um tell me about uh tell us about what what's coming up next week and then where we're going to go here um as we wrap up talking about winsome conviction absolutely um we're going to finish up Acts chapter 15. Like I mentioned before, this Sunday we're going to talk about uh, how there are some moments of, of disagreeing with each other that lead to parting ways, some biblical uh, modeling of that for us, um, some, other, some other key principles of how to disagree well, how to fight well. I mean, I'm actually calling our, our teaching this Sunday Fighting Well. Uh, I, think we, I think we associate fighting a lot of times anyway with something negative. I think the Lord mm-hmm. calls us to fight well with each other. Um, and to disagree well with each other. So we're going to talk about that Sunday. I want to follow up on our podcast next week as well with maybe how we see that, that come out in scripture, um, and how we can do that well with each other. Um, and then the next week, uh, will be our last Sunday in acts for, for a good while. Um, (coughs) excuse me. We're going to step into the next chapter of acts, Acts 16. And then the week after that, I'm so excited. We're going to step into our at the movie series, um, so much hard work going into that and preparation, and uh, I hope people are, are paying attention to different invitations to, to be a part of the build, to be a part of the inviting our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. Um, I think um, the month of July and then the first week in August is going to be an exciting, fun, hopefully convicting time for us as a church as we use story to point people to, to the Lord. So. I'm excited, man. Two more weeks of Axe and then at the movies. That's what's coming. And then at the movies. And that's going to be fun. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be fun. Um, just a reminder, uh, we will have the, uh, the link to the Amazon page where you can go buy this book. Um, we are just hitting some of the things in here. Yes, there's some big things that we're talking about throughout this book, and we're you know ruining some of it for you if you, you have plans to go read it from cover to cover, which you probably should. But there's so much more in here that's you know uh, weaponizing our beliefs and and flamethrowers and what they call tripwires and you know how to deal with stuff, uh, getting to our core values. There's so much more that's in this book. Um, that is such a, a great thing to think through that um, don't just rely on our very brief um, book report, if you will, and uh, um, go get the book. So it'll be, in the, it'll be in the show notes and, um, and we can do that. So I would also like um, to all right. I, I would also like to throw this out here, Brooke. I didn't even ask you permission. Yeah. We've talked about we don't, we don't we haven't done really much at all about, oh, everybody go read this book. Well, it's not our normal our MO. But because we've talked about it for a couple of weeks, because you and I have read it, because our elders have read it, I would like to throw this out there to all of our listeners. If you are willing to do the work, I don't want to have uh, email exchange. I don't want to have uh, social media post exchange. I'm not excited about that at all. But if you're willing to read this book, if you're willing even just to skim this book, even though I'd rather you read it, 
and then say, let's go have an hour and a half conversation. I have some, I have a beef with you, pastor, or I, what about this? What, how do we handle this or that? Or, or that I found this part really interesting and I want to know how, how do we live that out together? I would relish those kind of conversations. I'm going to volunteer Brooke for that. I'm going to volunteer elders for that. Um, this is the kind of stuff that, that makes it worthwhile to fight for relationship, fight for unity, fight for the call of Christ on each other's lives. And so I just want to extend that invitation now, if you're not willing to do the work and you just want to, you know, yell at somebody, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, and I don't want that. I don't want that to be the way I'm living either. But man, if you want to fight hard for a relationship, let's go, let's go. It's good. All right. We're going to wrap it up here. We'll be back next week. Um, Lauren, enjoy your, uh, your upper fifties and low sixties as we sweat to death. Thank you. Here it's 61 now. It's, ri- it's risen to 61. Yep. Love all, love all you North Texas people. I'm going to enjoy it for all of us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Do that. All right. Well, we'll pick it up back again next week. So this has been the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church. You can always get more information about Colonial at colonialchurch.com or from our app. You can get to the App Store or the Google Play Store. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you're reading through this book, if you've got questions, you've got things that are sticking out to you, send them to us, podcast at colonialchurch.com. That's our email. Or if you have the app, you can. Uh, there's, there's a link in there as well. But uh, um, again, thanks for listening. We apologize for any uh, extra noise or, um, or or crazy things that, that may, may or may not be in this that we don't even know about yet. But uh, we'll pick up again the conversation next week. 